The Censored Thought Podcast is all about sharing and venting about our darkest moments from running a business in a landscape that is forever changing. On this monthly podcast, Jacob from Alderham will talk about personal experiences along with discussing with like-minded individuals about some of the obstacles they've had to overcome in their career. So I think that it's definitely a negative thing if you're uh, like, I think it's a negative thing for your life if you're just like genuinely like getting in Um, someone mentions your name it seems to be like because you did something that like wasn't exactly right or you know what i mean it's definitely a negative thing for your personal life but um six nine's a prime example of how marketing can literally make a career like you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like there's nothing against him i think he like has some good music but it's just like there's marketing definitely plays a role in in music industry more than it should i feel like i think is it I don't, I don't like him in the sense I don't like his music, but I, I don't like his personality. But I, I've got to give him credit that he knows exactly what he's doing. Um, exactly. Yeah. And he that's uses... True. We're going to get every... into the Virgil Abloh for, thing from there, because that's exactly... All right, we're going <laughs> to... Yeah. I, I, I think, um, like, the way, you know, half of the stuff he does where he went after Snoop Dogg, he went after... Um, who was it? Uh, he went after a bunch of artists when he first got like out of OG. prison. Yeah. yeah, he went after OG, a bunch yeah. of them. Yeah, and, and then it, he, he, he just created buzz around his name. That's and all. then he drops like, a single, and it it goes number one. Yeah, with Nicki Minaj um, on it. Um, which yeah, one was that? Was that Gooba or was that Trolls? Trolls, I think. Trolls, yeah. Um, I think, I think Gooba went number one too. Did it? Has he dropped two yeah, songs since that? No, I think I think Gooba was the first one out, and then it was Trolls. Let me let me check really quick. But I could have sworn that he released two songs. I believe it was two. I, yeah. So yeah, Trolls. Yeah. So if you go back in his singles, right? Uh, whatever you're on, Trolls. Yeah, Gooba came out in 2020. And that right before, um, yeah, Red Four Trolls. What I find extremely weird about his case, and we'll switch the subject in a second, but how he was allowed to release music just before he went into prison. And like, I remember his he album. Wasn't, was... He wasn't releasing it though. That's that's another thing with the labels where like they own the music and he's probably, you have to understand that a lot of artists have pre-recorded songs and what they'll do is she'll just like, be able to like even if he's in prison they can release songs and they can make money off of it because they own the rights to it so he could have pre-recorded verses and pre-recorded songs that haven't been mastered or mixed or engineered yet and what they do is like they just do that like to keep a steady flow of income and also make money off of the name like that's just how it is that's how it goes so right so in terms of the underground artist we'll get back on topic right now actually uh, in terms of the underground artist, who would it be? And why? Um, he's already signed to a label, so I hate to say this, but Alec Wigdahl, I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Um, he's signed to he on Spotify? Money. Yeah. He signed to Internet Money. I don't know if you know who Internet Money is. Taz Taylor's label. They have a collaboration with 10K Projects. Um, Taz Taylor is just like, I love Taz Taylor, and I love what he does with Internet Money, but... Alec Wigdahl is just, I think he's like a pop star in the making. Like, I think that he, it's going to take one song, that that right song, like a watermelon sugar, like for Harry Styles, 
or something that and he's just going to blow up like um so yeah that would be the one guy that i was i hate to say that because like he signed to another label and i know that probably sounds bad but if i ever got to work with taz one day on a project with him or that would just be like a dream mm-hmm. would would you not say that um you could still work with him on a collaboration of some sort i don't know if that's possibly I mean, yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's what I, I guess that's what I would more so say because I wouldn't like would I love to have him signed to my label? Of course, like you know, like Taz says that the same thing where he's like because Taz was at Alamo Records before he created Internet Money and he was just involved in a bad deal like with Alamo. Like this is just public knowledge, and um, he got a bunch of artists signed to Alamo Records that are like top TRs, like you know who Trevor Daniel is. Mm-hmm. Like, he helped out Trevor Daniel a ton like before falling like. And even during falling, and then there's Lil Tecca, who he helped a lot as well, and that's why he's still cool with all those guys because like they know what he did for them and and them in their music and, and their brands. So, um, yeah, and now he's just has his own his own label. He's doing his own business and and he's making his money. Like he's doing the right things. So, how yeah. many? Um, I should have re asked this earlier, but how many um people do you have signed to the label, and is there anything that you think would be helpful to any musicians um so right now it's just the china blue and we have partnerships with other people um we're also in talks with a couple of artists but i don't want to sign somebody unless i know that i can like relate to them and so this i guess this ties into that question we asked earlier about what i do for my artists um because what i do for my artists goes way beyond business and goes way beyond just music um i really like to connect and i really like to be there and, and be a significant influence in their life in general um so i can't sign an artist that i personally don't um like being around Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I can't connect with you on a personal level and I just can't seem to, you know, have a good conversation with you or, you know, and that's not to say that they're bad people. That's not what mm-hmm. that I mean by that. It's just that I need to really feel a connection in terms of, there's know, always that click. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was like that with Seth. It was just, it was like that. So, um, I knew that he was the one I wanted to start with. I know that like, he's going to be that groundbreaking artist where, He's going to be that one, like Taz has those people where, you know, like he helped with Andy or he helped with the, like these big guys are coming up now that like he helped. Seth is going to be my artist that gets me through the door, gets me in the door, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, our relationship exceeds well beyond business and music. So I think that that's what. uh, I'm sure he also thinks of it as you're going to be the one to get him in the door as well. Absolutely. Um, It has to be, it has to be a two way feeling because exactly. there's times where I've like gone into a meeting and it's just felt dead from the minute um, I've walked in there or even yeah. in lockdown there's been like even the hours in a, a phone call with someone and it just felt dead straight away um, and it's it, it just doesn't feel like to cut that off it feels like at first that you're making a, a, a rash decision mm-hmm. but you, you know it's better to do it earlier than later or sooner yeah. than later exactly so it's the same way like i'll meet somebody i'll have a meeting with an artist and um we're currently in talks like i said with 
one or two other artists, but I want to really, really develop and focus on Seth and make him into something because the potential that this kid has and the things that he's able to do by himself and the work ethic that is just instilled by our group working together. Um, so his situation right now is very complicated, but um, long story short, he lives in his own apartment. He didn't go to college. He graduated high school. He's nine. I believe he just turned 20. And um, he's a DIY artist. He does everything himself. Like for the most part, um, 99% of his music is mixed, mastered, engineered, and produced by him. So as well as written. Um, and his situation is just like, I see the potential in what he could be and how level-headed and grounded he is when things happen. So it's just like we click and we connect and it's just easy to work with him. He's so easy to work with. And, you know, if I ask him to have something done by this date or like have a promo done by this date for the song, have an Instagram post ready for this, like make a TikTok. I don't have to ask him to do those things. He's on top of those things. He knows mm-hmm. like he gets it. And, and having people to work with like that, it makes my job all the easier um, and not to mention, he lives with um, this kid, Mason Pimentel, Mac McGuire. I think he's living with one more kid named Bobby, who I think is a drummer, but I don't really know how much he does for the music for the China Blue. But Mackie and Mason are both photographers and videographers. So we just have a solid foundation with him for his team because, like, whenever he needs shoots done or music videos done or lyric videos created, like, we have a team to do that. So the team and the potential and just like, it's a very good situation is what I'm basically trying to say. How does, um, so whilst you were speaking there, um, I wanted to ask is the age of parental consent is, I think it's different over there. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to kind of see how um, that works in terms of a business standpoint. So until I turned, the age, until I turned 18, my parents had to actually sign everything I did. And I want to know whether or not it's the same with, to so say if you have an artist that's 20, do mm-hmm. I think it's 21 over there, isn't it? For consent with what? Like being able to... Is it just, do you have parental consent? Yeah, it's at age 18. Ah, oh, so it's a set. I think yeah, it's two what years the, older. Yeah, age 21 is like the liquor age. It's so confusing. Like everything is just so different and it's just. Yeah, but he's he's of age, he's 20. So, you know, he's technically considered adult in the eyes of the law. Um, so mm-hmm. he, I don't have to go through his parents for like, if I want to make a decision like regarding his business or if we have a discussion and whatever it may be. Um, I don't have to like go through his parents or have them sign a form or anything. So, oh, yeah. Okay. yeah, I was just curious more than anything. Um, yeah, those are definitely serious things though. Yeah. Like signing an artist underage and having their parents be, you know, yeah. what kind of proof do you get from artists then? Like when you, like what's the process of you sign the artist, like from the initial meeting to shaking the hand, in terms of like age no in terms of you bringing them in like how was it with china blue in terms of um because i know you had that meeting where you like um were at the gas station but more of the him being actually signed to your label how does that work okay so the process of getting to that point okay so um after having like 
I feel you, you got to have more than one meeting. It can't just be a one meeting thing. Um, I like to give people like chances and actually be able to engage in conversation past like one, one meeting. So um, getting to that point where I wanted to sign him as an artist for Accolades Records was um, easier than I thought it was going to be. Uh, it, it took like two meetings for me to kind of lay out the, um, the contract and have us negotiate back and forth and understand what he was going to be able to do for me and, and what I was going to be able to bring forward to the table for him and his brand and just being able to talk with him and negotiate, um, all that stuff like was a lot easier simply based off the fact that we have a personable relationship outside of business. It's not just business or music. It's like, we genuinely enjoy being in each other's company. We, we get each other, like, um, we connect well. Uh, so I think that made it a lot easier than if I went into the meeting with somebody, for example, that I have only met a few times and I don't really know much about. Um, Mm -hmm. so walking into that process, you know, like you got to get contracts set up, you got to understand like the percentages and am I going to own what part of his music, like his brand merch sales, like net growth, like, um, like all those things, like it, it's a lot of, a lot of paperwork stuff, but once you get that like aside and you can like settle on a number and percentages and things like that, like it's a lot easier than you think it is. It's just like, there's a lot of contracts involved. That's all. It definitely sounds like, um, we have two separate, like two different sides of the coin. Um, mm-hmm. or two different lives in a way is so that your your sounds quite like structured in in the legal sense mm-hmm. um whereas literally you'll know this is that you have a brief you have a proposal and then you sign off on the project and then you start it and then mm-hmm. when you finish it you do maybe a few documents and say that the work's theirs and then you get paid or whatever um, yeah. So it, it's it's interesting to kind of see that um, even though that you've, because obviously being a designer, that you've been able to adapt to that, um, especially in such a short amount of time. And did, did you get any advice from anyone or did you just kind of learn that yourself? Um, in terms of the contracts and taking things, so like legality-wise, yeah. uh, I think the contract, like, the idea of contracts started with me being a designer and freelancing, like working with certain companies and um, certain people that I wanted to make sure that like I was safe. Uh, I think it definitely started there, the idea of it, but um, I definitely went beyond my own reach and reached out to a few people that I know who either are in law school or um, I have family friends whose fathers and, and parents are lawyers in like the actual real world, like that's what they do. Uh, Mm -hmm. So like reaching out to them and just understanding like how things work and like being able to get them to read over it and understand that um, if something was to go wrong, what would happen? How would I handle it? Like situations like that, you have to plan for the what ifs Mm -hmm. um, as a business and as a businessman. Like, so, you know, I hate to say it, but it is kind of a long process and, I never like to think of like people that I connect with like Seth, like as like do being able to do something like that or being able to cross me in terms of that. Um, so, but you have to do that in order to like, okay, get through that d- I definitely agree. Um, yeah. because there's always that thing that, um, 
and it's something that I've been dealing with. Like, and I don't know if I don't know if it's just you that owns the business, but mm -hmm. I've been contemplating, and I think um, the way the world is right now is I think I'm just going to stick with myself um, and bring in freelancers rather than employ someone just mm -hmm. for the for the time being. Um, not from a money standpoint, but more of a legal kind of aspect. Yeah. Um, with having to get documents in place. Whereas mm -hmm. if I can just get a free answer, I can just drop the contract and then send them whatever the money they're owed. Um, and I think for me, the biggest problem is being given someone a piece of the pie. Um, yeah. With me being a sole director, um, probably the easiest way for me to bring someone in without really paying them is to offer them a part of the company. And I don't want to do that, but I think the smartest decision would for me would for me to do that would be for me to do that i mean um in the sense that i have someone else there and i think in terms of just bouncing ideas off someone i think that's why i'm so lucky to be a part of the business program that i was on um and now i think now that's all that i'm i'm lucky that i'm a lot more confident in those ideas and in the way i, I run the business itself and yeah it's no bad, sorry. <laughs> it's it's alright. It's like so many things that you learn from just doing the business itself. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. the, I think if we both went back nine months in time or even before you even started the company, regardless of what name it was, I think you'd do things a lot differently and I think I would as well. Um mm -hmm. in terms of not only social media but in the way you approach things. Yeah, for sure. I think that um, speaking on the point of, you know, having somebody there to just bounce ideas off of, uh, it's kind of a give and take situation. Um, I think that, you know, being like the kind of household name that you are and the brand that you've set aside for yourself, like you, you have a very, very big name right now in design, I think. And like as a young, as a young man, you know, mm -hmm. and I think that if um if my best piece of advice to give to you, I think that right now I'd hold off on bringing somebody else in and giving them a part of the company because I know you and I know how like you work and how the potential that like you have and just like being a business owner and being like a, a personable, a person of like the community and things. Mm -hmm. Um, and you, you know, like you can take this advice, like and do whatever you want with it. But I think that like, you can always bounce ideas off of like people who are in the same industry as you and doing the mm -hmm. same things. Um, and yes, it may be a little different, but you're always going to have those people that you can do that with. And I think that, like you said, like you said, it's the hardest thing to do is give somebody a piece of the pie. Like, of course it's easier to have somebody there, but is it worth giving up a part of what you own and what you've built just to have someone to bounce ideas off of and do those things? Like, so I guess it's kind of a give and take, like what you know that you need and what like, you know, that you don't need, you know? It's, it's whilst we're on that subject and I, I really appreciate the advice um but there's always been one question that i've always got asked consider it's just me is so that like on social media i use we um from the business side of things i use we our um because the thing is if it's if i say i or me then it, it doesn't feel like a business to people it feels more like a sole trader or a um a, a persona so yeah. I think, and I still get questions off my family. Why do I do this? And um, yeah. it's it's one of them things that I've always said that 
if I bring someone in, I don't want to have to go back and change all the captions just mm-hmm. to make it sound um, like there's more people. Because I think doing that from the get-go with the um, kind of plans for the agency, mm-hmm. it's always been more about building something than just building like a freelance persona. Yeah, for sure. I think so too. Um, you know, I think that if you're going to bring somebody in, it has to be that right person, you know, like you have to trust them. Like it has to be like, like that click, like you have to have that, like with somebody like to bring them in. And, you know, I get that too. Like the, we, our, like I can like confidently say that now, but like, I remember back when I was like, limber media at first it was just me before like my partner came Mm -hmm. in and i was like we our like like as just like as a team and i'm like i don't know why i'm doing this like it's just me like yeah i don't know why it's just it's just it feels like because i've always viewed it as if i was a client and i was looking at someone's business Mm -hmm. and if it was i instead of we then they would be less inclined to email me or email Mm -hmm. the business um, because if there's more people in the business, then you're more likely to get a, a better quality service. I agree. And I think that also the fact is like, if given that you have established your own personal name outside the company name, like people would just be like, well, if it's just him, why don't I just email his personal email? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Like it could like direct people to like, be like, well, um, like, I don't know what your email situation is now, like, and like with Alderham and stuff, but you know, before when I was running Limber Media, like I had my own freelance clients that were like separate from Limber Media who would email my personal email, who were just clients that I had built a relationship with over time. Like, and then like, it's like, if you portray it as like, it's just you and the company, they're going to be like, why don't I just email his personal email instead of having to go through the process of filling out a form and you know what i mean so mm-hmm. yeah definitely so I, I have like four emails addresses i have a hotmail a gmail and mm-hmm. i have like a jham.co.uk and then i also have the older ham one but i think i'm reluctant to get rid of the the jacob ham one just purely because there's a ma- the amount of stuff that's on that account in terms of like steam and mm-hmm. um, spotify everything's on there and yeah. the amount of if I get rid of that, then there's loads of stuff that I'll have to replace. And I yeah. think just the time to do that is in a loan, it will be a day or two. Um, mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I think um, one thing that we should do is switch the topic and talk about a little bit more um, yeah. of a controversial <laughs> stuff um, that I think um, is quite recent and quite ongoing. Um, mm-hmm. So I know um, we've talked about quite a bit of like your design background. Um, mm-hmm. as well as the music, but I, I want to get your take on the whole situation um, about Virgil's cover for Pop Smoke. Um, oh and, uh, <laughs> okay, all right. You want me to just like dive right into it? Yeah, if you want, yeah. All right. Well, is there any other part of the like question that you want to ask, or like, just in general, what's your view on it? And do you think one, it's disrespectful to um, it leads into the, the final question is that should artists who are dead stay like in the past I don't think that's the right way to put it but should their music be, be kept to themselves 
mm-hmm. or to their producers or to their families. Um, mm-hmm. Because I think the amount of people that, like, I think XXX Tentacion um, is probably the biggest example where he was getting verses from artists, or he wasn't. Um, people in his crew were getting um, verses and features before, after he died. And I yeah. think it, t- it, the question is, is where do we cross the line with an artist's legacy? Yeah. Uh, okay. So I'll dive into the, the Virgil cover. Oh my gosh. Uh, so the Virgil cover, anybody with like any design background in general knows that it's horrible. It's a terrible cover. You can still see the pixelation on his face. Um, so do I think it's disrespectful? Kind of, but um, there's, I know that we have talked about this a little before we started, but this is my outlook on the situation is that it's going to be a lot different than anybody else's, I feel like, but he is a genius marketer. Nobody can sit here and say that Virgil Abloh is not one of the, the biggest marketing gurus that the world has right now. So I think that his, if I, if I could dissect his brain in like his plan for this with the album cover and um, the merch and just him as a person, I think that he went into it almost purposely trying to make it kind of bad so that it would get buzz so that people would talk about it. Artists would, you know, like talk about it. And this is just me spinning things out there. I don't know if this is true. Um, but I think it was a genius way to market his posthumous album because then you've got, there's a whole community of cover artwork designers that people don't even know about. You've got hundreds of kids making artwork dedicated to the late pop smoke Mm -hmm. and hoping for the opportunity that maybe they'll use it or just maybe they wanted to make it because of respect and his impact on the culture and, you know, whatever it may be, I don't know if you know, but 50 Cent and I think another guy named like Steven Victor have been like posting the cover arts on their Instagram saying like rate one out of 10, rate one out of 10. And I think Virgil Abloh's marketing campaign around that was to get people talking about it, was to get people all around the world to understand that if something's talked about and it's like big news, like it's going to make the impact of whatever that thing may be greater than it would be if it was just another album. I think um, um, the best example of it could be the Sonic movie that was recently released where mm-hmm. when that first trailer came out and it was rubbish. Yeah. But then it, it's confusing because mm-hmm. in a matter of months he managed to redo the whole movie. And I think it's a similar situation where they released it purposely to piss people off mm-hmm. and i think to get people talking yeah i think so like it's it's one of them things i think we've talked about before how bad social media is and mm-hmm. i think with everything going on at the minute and i think a lot of the hate virtual has been getting for some of the other issues i think yeah that hasn't helped yeah, as with well. those $50 donations that we were talking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I've heard from other people that he's donated more than that, but um, 
regardless of what my views are on that, I think yeah. the way he went about it, and I think with it being such a sensitive subject, both mm-hmm. situations, yeah. um, there are both definitely, I think this one more than the Lives Matter movement thing, is more of a a market employee than anything because people will probably start looking at the albums of Pop Smoke and um, I have a friend who's reinvested in him um, well before he died and passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, that he's even said that Virgil probably did this, that a market employee. And 100%. yeah. And this is, as a businessman, you, you, there's no way to sit here and be like, he did that on purpose because if you look at his, the clothes and the things he's done with Off White and and the, and he he's the artistic director of Louis Vuitton. Like there there is a reason that he has that title. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> he was able to create a brand off of quotations. There's on, a lot like, of there's a lot of issues around that, and there's so many things that I've seen that. Um, that in itself is stolen. Um, I don't. I don't. Oh yeah, no. I yeah. That whole there's a lot of conspiracies about like things that he stole and styles and things like that. Yeah, like totally. I get that. Um, uh, I'm I just saying, like his ability to market things is is unlike I, anybody I've really I, ever seen. Where did where was that originally post? Was it on his original account or not? The post for the cover. Yeah. No. What happened was he might have posted it on his account. But I know for a fact that a bunch of those, like, have you ever seen like Hip Hop Central or Rap Central, like a world star hip hop, like a bunch of those blogs and like media communities for like rap and hip hop that repost things. Like sometimes they even get like, um, like not leaked music, but like leaked information about when a song is coming out before like the public knows about it. Um, they started to repost it, and like it then from there, I think built like a lot of anger and frustration to you know the music industry and people who respected pop smoke and really listened to him because they felt like virgil should have done a lot better of a job or they should have at least hired somebody to like make a better cover and make better merch because if you look at the merch and the cover like it literally like it just doesn't make sense like the only possible thing that like would make sense is that it was a purposely done marketing like campaign Mm-hmm. But I think you've got to also consider what has happened behind the behind doors because if if he's being asked to design it by that's song, yeah, and they've agreed it, agreed on it, and then mm-hmm. everyone's been like, "Well, we don't like it." Um, what's going to happen is, do they stick with Virgil or go somewhere else? Um, exactly. Because now they might see it as him disrespecting. Pop, even though they agreed with it in the first place, there's yeah. times where I've seen it where brands have gone back on themselves because of what people have said. Yeah. Um, there was an incident a year ago where uh, a football club rebranded, and then there was memes everywhere of their logo. And I remember that. I do remember. I don't remember the club. Leeds, the... I think it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah and I remember that. Literally overnight, they changed it back. Yeah, they changed it back. Yeah. Um, and and what's worse is that they haven't moved past that yet they haven't decided to re-update it because Mm -hmm. of what will happen is because social media is such a scary place for businesses who are bigger than both me and you um and i think 
Well, I've always been against um, when a big rebrand happens. I've always been against it, where people go out of their way. Um, it was the same with Evil Geniuses a few weeks ago. Um, it was mm-hmm. the same with when Fnatic rebranded. Um, I, I always hate seeing other designers move a little pixel and then reshare it and repost it because it, it's and be it's like a, my take on the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and you'll like, know exactly no. who i'm talking about and it, it's yeah. and i find that frustrating because it takes no time doing it mm-hmm. really I, don't, I wouldn't call it insult to the person who made the original artwork but it's one of those things that i think has made the design community in terms of esports what it is um yeah. outside it's, of headers and all that stuff i just yeah i think that they're more focused on gaining um a popular name and likes and retweets on twitter than they are about actually creating something that's successful and beneficial to themselves i think that we've got some great examples of designers who could exceed the esports community um you know, being people that are now working with Paper Crowns, which is Skylar Johnson's thing, or being people like Owen Rowe, you know, like he he's built a name for himself and, and he's personable and he's a great designer and, you know, like he's doing the right things. And there's and people... Do you know what's who, funny? I don't follow Owen, but I know his name everywhere. Um, hey, that's the thing. I don't believe I follow him either. But I know for a fact, I've had conversations with him. I've been in chats with him. Like, I know for a fact that he's doing the right things. Like, he, yes, he has the attention and, like, the likes and retweets everybody wants. But he's also, he deserves it because of how hard he works. He's so he, young as well, he, though. He's, like, 15 or something it's like, like that. 16. Uh, it's yeah, ridiculous. And, and that's something to me that shows that this kid he, he gets it this kid gets it he understands he understands how the community works he works his he works off like his butt off like he's a super talented kid there's there's a reason that he's been able to create businesses i know he had something to do with themes i'm not sure if he was an originally founding member of that but he's been able to grow businesses off of his following and like his dedicated like fans in a sense Mm-hmm. Um, just simply being off the fact that he's a personable person, he's a great designer, and people think he's funny. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, he's always somewhat involved in, like, not always, but like, he there is controversy that surrounds his name because he gives his opinions on on certain things, and he doesn't mm-hmm. care. And that's like a part of the things we were talking about earlier, where like he's open to being judged. He's fine with that, and you know, people resonate with that. So, yeah, I think he's a great example of someone who could exceed the esports community and join the actual design industry. And I know he's been talking about it a little more um, and he would be fine. He would be completely fine. So, Just imagine how things would be in a few years time though. When I know. he's only he's 16 more. That, that's a scary thing because hmm. um, when I was young as a designer, um, and, and you know, there's always that one aspect of something that you've tried to sp- spend most of your life learning with design and mm-hmm. then there's always that one thing that you want to do but you don't do it because it puts put it off mm-hmm. i honestly think that he'll be the type of person and i don't know him personally like i said but i think he'll be the type of person that will try to keep learning um and i think mm-hmm. he's definitely changed esports and the community um but 
I think a lot of people need to realize that the minute you make something else than headers or um, G Fuel ads, mm-hmm. um, for example, because that's what everyone does, and it's all I see on my timeline. Yeah. Um, the world of design is such a good place, and the power it has is so interesting to me. Um, and in the way that you can help save someone's life with design. And as stupid as yeah. that sounds, you can, and I've experienced it. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't have been able to t- do talks in front of 140 or people if it wasn't for design. And yeah. it's crazy that a lot of people undervalue um, what it's like to really explore new areas of design. Because mm-hmm. um, I would put money on that not many designers know how to set up a document well, not designers, people in esports, I would say, don't really know how to set up a document or print, um, or That's even know the colors. Yeah. Um, and I, I would put the money on that if if you were to give them their a thousand pound brief for a client, they would get stuck at some point of the way. Mm-hmm. Um, not saying that they couldn't do it, but they would get stuck some point. And I think the big part of it would be guidelines because, you know, I see it everywhere that they put logos on headers and it's the wrong colour. And I know yeah. that they have free reign to do that, but it, it's not what you're meant to do. Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't know if you agree with this, but, and there is a whole argument about it where if you go to college as a, as a designer, I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I, yeah, I had a feeling you were going to, like, we were heading in this direction. Yeah. Um, that you are wasting your money mm-hmm. and you don't learn anything. And me and Cameron were talking about it yesterday about how um, if you're self taught, you're self taught and you tell everyone that. When in reality, you're not self taught. Um, mm-hmm. And even if you go to college, you're still self taught in a way. Yeah. That you still take the time to go into detail about what you're taught. And it's funny that, you know, I, I believe that a portfolio is more important than education, but if you have an education, I don't know if you have had this, but you get given the tools to make your portfolio better. Yep. And Absolutely. there was so many opportunities. I think you were at DraftKings, weren't you? Yeah, so um, last summer I was a junior designer there, which is like a pretty big company. Um, and, you know, I think that my education, uh, if you want me to like speak upon that, I, I will for sure. Cause yeah, I do have, sure. a very, I have a very, very like solid standpoint on that, like where I stand on the side of the fence. Um, I wouldn't be at college right now if I thought it was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would just be a waste of thousands of dollars. And, um, I'm not going to sit this. It, it's a, it's what you put in, what you want to get out of it in college. Mm-hmm. If you want to be successful and you, and you go to college, like open to learning and really trying to push yourself, like you're going to get positive things out of that experience um, that you wouldn't get being a self-taught designer or a, um, because even then when you're a self-taught designer, like you're still researching tutorials on how to do certain things. So technically like, you're, you're self-taught, but not like you're still, you still have a teacher in some sense. You can't just pick up something and like be amazing at it without some form of educating yourself on a topic. 
So they're there. Their purpose is just to guide you in the next direction. Exactly. And, and I it's... think that working with some of the, I don't know how at your, your university or college it works, but at my school, I go to um, UMass Dartmouth and we have a lot of professors that went to, uh, um, do you know what RISD is? The Rhode Island School of Design. It's like one of the top design schools in the world. It's like right down the street from us and all of our professors, like when I mean all, I mean like pretty much 95% of our professors either went there for school, grad school, or still teach there to this day. Um, we have other professors who went to Yale, Ivy League school, one of the best schools in the world. Like getting, it's, it's a lot more than just like educating yourself on how to design what is proper in terms of print, colors, rags, leading, like like understanding typography and kinetic typography it it's a lot of um networking and meeting people and understanding that when you grow up if you want to be a designer like networking or anything you want to do in life networking is hugely important you know like i've gotten opportunities from my teachers that i thought that i that i wouldn't have been able to get if i was not in school Mm -hmm. and like half the stuff that i've done with creative conscience i probably would never have ever like heard of them if it wasn't for college. Exactly. Um, like them, AIGA. Um, the, 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 the reality is that most of these competitions and stuff, you've got to be a student to get on them. Exactly. And yeah. the biggest thing for great, me... Great, great things to do as well. And it, like The experience you get as a student, you can't put a price on that, regardless mm-hmm. of how much you pay each year for education, whether mm-hmm. that's scholarship like we were talking about earlier um or whatever you cannot put money on it because you know going like halfway across the country to an event and meeting loads of different designers who are in the similar situation as you exactly you would never ever get that situation if you Mm -hmm. were just in esports or not i don't mean it like that but i mean i know what you're trying to say yeah Yeah. like i get what you're saying i think the biggest value for me in terms of getting my education wasn't the bit of paper that's hanging up on my wall. It's the, the experiences that I got um, and the one or two friends that I've got afterwards or mm-hmm. throughout. And it's the biggest thing for me is the confidence that I can stand in front of a classroom and pitch my ideas and then also pitch what I'm about as well and not having to feel stressed out about that um because there were so many things beforehand like before i started that course or that um degree there was maybe a time where i i wouldn't dare like stand in front of a classroom or -hmm. even walk up to a teacher and ask them a question yeah and like you know it's just that environment and i think you'd agree that it's a lot different than sitting behind a phone and putting something in, the, in a design chat. I think people have that common misconception about school is like you open Photoshop, you'll learn how to use the pen tool. Like there, don't get me wrong. There are classes that are like that. I have taken classes that, you know, like have taught people how to use Photoshop and, you know, my freshman year, my first year of college, but it's not just about that. And people need to understand that is like, you're paying for not only are you paying for like learning how to design and how to be a designer and what things that 
they believe that you should know going into the world after you graduate, but it's the people that you meet, the experiences that you get, the opportunities that come with being a student, whether that's student memberships with AIGA or D&D or being able to enter Creative Conscious or, or New Bloods from D&D. Like, there's a lot of things that are positive that come with being a student, and I advocate... I advocate for anybody wanting to be a student in design, like go for it hundred percent. Like I think it's been a great experience for me for three years. I'm coming up on my last year. Um, and it's done wonders for me. Not all of it's been positive. There has been negative stuff, but it is what you make of it. You can't just show it. It's, it's like, if you want to go and do something, if like, it's like saying, say you went out to one of Christo's conferences, right? One of his big conferences or, or you went out to an Adobe max, um, if you're showing up with the sole intention of to just sit through the lectures and like, just like walk around, you're not going to get anything okay. useful out of it. Yeah. You need to like show up wanting to talk to people, wanting to meet people, have conversations like, um, like going to an AIGA like conference, um, and giving out your resume or talking with people about internships. Like I know a bunch of people from my school who went to those conferences and those, um, those big conduction, not conduction, um, like just those big conventions and gotten several internship opportunities out of it just by being personable and having a resume on hand. Mm-hmm. You'll never have an opportunity like that if you're a freelance designer who didn't go to college because you thought it was a waste of time. And, you know, like uh, it's not to say that that's a negative thing for you not to go to college. I don't want to portray that message. I, I fully advise you to do whatever you believe is right for your situation. Yeah, I'm just same. trying to advocate for the students where there is definitely, definitely without a doubt positives by going to school. Um, for I will, I will say one thing though, is that grades aren't what they're meant out to be. Like, mm-hmm. you know, um, from secondary. Yeah. Like, I don't know if what that is in America, but, um, mm-hmm. the grades that I got in like English maths and science and all that, Mm-hmm. don't really mean anything now um in the sense that you know if i was to go to a job interview they'd be more interested in my skills and mm-hmm. um probably what i've done in the last three months whilst we've been in lockdown than what i was like when i was 16 18 because i think you know you, you change so quickly when you're young and you know all it takes is just a little bit of inspiration and you can be someone different overnight and I think, I don't know if it's the same over there, but people put so much weight on passing a exam, passing yeah, a... Like a final um, or... Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that's what people is put off about school, is that if you fail, then there's no second chance. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, for me, I realised in my last year right at the very end when I was doing hyperfocus as my major project is that I don't know why I spent that much time on everything that I did. Um, like I was actually working myself into the ground with everything. And I realized that I need to take a step back and just enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was the minute I realized that was when I got a grade back and it was, so up until that point, I got a first or like, um, like the highest grade you can get. And yeah. there was this one module where I ended up getting the next grade down a two a two one, mm-hmm. um, and then I was like really annoyed and stressed out about that. 
Um, but that's when I realized that because I put a lot of work into that module more mm -hmm. than I probably ever have. Um, and that was for a, a book that I did um, about sport, which looking back on it, I could have done a little better, but um, I think I know what you're talking about. There was mm -hmm. it about tennis. Um, it was a mixture of stuff. It was like basically about branding and sport and was there yeah was there a lot of like outline text with like a black yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah see i i know you work i know you work. yeah <laughs> um so I, I realized that looking back that there is if i didn't have that like experience of getting a one bad grade it's mm -hmm. not a bad grade but it, to me it was i think i would have carried on trying to be that perfect student in a way and i think having that um downfall in a sense made me a better designer yeah. because then I started to realise that the, if I if I was to explain how I went about doing that project I did the book so I, I was trying to finish so we started in September and then we hand it in about September and mm -hmm. I tried to finish it before November because that was the week of the Logic concert so I wanted to take that whole week off and mm -hmm. then I pretty much sent it to print then and then because of how much that costs, I was reluctant to change it. But I missed out on a lot of stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And that was probably my own, like, thing of um, my insecurities. Just if, I don't know if you feel the same as if, if you do something and you spend more time on it, you might change something and make it worse. And I was at a point where I was yeah. happy with it. Um <laughs> But I realised that it was quite repetitive and um, quite bland in a way. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, it, education's a tricky one to talk about because, you know, everyone has different experiences and it all depends on the type of people in your class and the type of people at the top of the class and at the front of the class. Mm -hmm. um, um, yeah. I think that uh to speak on like the matter of taking other subjects as well i agree with like certain things that i've learned just like aren't going to be used in my like career path and my career choice but there are things that i take out of english like the the way that i the ability that i have to write and the ability to persuade somebody in a maybe it's a client pitch or the ability to stand up in my english class and present a project that yeah, of course, like, will it have any meaning, like, in my life and, like, after it's done? Probably not, but the ability to get those experiences as well as um, go through that, and it gives myself confidence. Um, that's how I practice. Uh, a lot of my friends my age um, always ask me about, like, how are you so confident going into internships? How do you answer questions so thoroughly? And it's because over the years of me being in college, I've had two or three internships, and I've probably gone through about, if I'm being one, like 100% realistic, over 50 interviews. Mm -hmm. And that's because I take interviews that I know I can't even like accept the job offer simply based on the fact that I want to get better at being able to persuade somebody to hire me during an interview. That is literally, you have to work at whatever it is that you want to do. And so I think the same thing goes for school where it's like, if you want to go into an English class, like you may be a designer, but what can you take out of this class? Like to bring into your 
um, area of design, like my ability to write, like, yes, that would be fantastic if I was creating, um, do you know what zines are? They're like mini books. Mm-hmm. My, like say I created a zine about um, like an informational zine about something, my ability to write would have a significant impact on whether or not the zine would come out successful or not. So I think it's really all what you put into it and what you expect to get out of certain courses and, and certain things in school of design and um, just school in general. Uh, I, de- I definitely agree with you on that. And I think one of the mm-hmm. biggest things for me is, you know, when you're, when you're young and you're, you're studying for your, your exams and stuff, and then there's always that one person saying and putting the hand up and saying, well, I don't get what we'll learn from this. There's so mm-hmm. many things that I've looked back at and in the last year I've used more than I ever have and makes me think that if I spent more time in maths, I was good in maths, I got a B, which is like the second grade down. Yeah. Um, and there were certain things that from like an accountant accountant standpoint mm-hmm. um there was um i feel business which i quite fi- i find quite funny um <laughs> but yeah th- like there's so many things that i think if i look back i probably could have maybe like picked up on another grade somewhere or another career path if i wanted to mm-hmm. but because i was in with the wrong crowd or just wasn't really into it i didn't really get uh stick my head down and you know i think we need to kind of teach young kids especially is that you should be able to do whatever you want and i think education especially in this country is that when you reach a certain age you've got to pick a certain amount of subjects Mm -hmm. um and subjects that aren't always the best subjects so i picked um media photography and um what was the third one it and oh. media i i loved it i wanted to be a film editor and um wanted to work at disney which was probably never going to happen um because <laughs> i was quite reluctant at staying home um and so i i took them other um courses and classes and literally within the first term i dropped out of photography and it mm-hmm. um because i realized that after the stuff in it i already learned like some of the stuff that you could probably pick up on if just messing around on your computer in a matter of seconds yeah and it was mainly like a lot of like spreadsheet stuff that were oh, okay. that that wasn't it wasn't boring but it wasn't like what i expected and i think a lot yeah. of people will feel that with courses and photography yeah. it was ironically with photography I I took a a massive piss take with that um I I just what you could do in the photography class if you wanted to right you could take a camera out and just walk around the town and just skive basically and take time off um yeah and just as long as you were back before the end of class there was no problem with it um and I kind of started to get because once you go around the town that you know Mm -hmm. you grew up in so many times um, it starts to get a bit boring and I didn't really like the the nature of it and I know people who have gone through that course like my ex-girlfriend yeah. was on that course um, and have finished it and stuff like that and I, ju- I just didn't see myself sticking with it in terms of afterwards um, that I finished mm-hmm. then I, I really kind of went in on the media side and 
picked up double media which mainly is the reason why i'm here as a designer um and as soon as i started like doing print media that whole film side of things just went out the window um yeah. because it just it's i don't know i just like being involved with stuff and i think um when you're I mean, you're still at your desk either way, mm-hmm. but the odds of me working on a Disney film compared to working on the brand for someone who's a global leader is probably higher um, mm-hmm. because the amount of investment you need for a film of that nature only comes around maybe every few years. Yeah. Um. So I think I, I had to take a long hard look at myself and see what I wanted yeah. I think we need to kind of persuade people to do that in terms of education mm-hmm. I, I agree I think that it needs to be more of a serious discussion instead of people hopping on the bandwagon and just deciding that okay because so many people think this this has to be true or so many people think this like there has to be some reason behind it like you have to be able to think for yourself and really like talk to your your peers and your family and, and say like, is this like what I want to do? And if it is like, I need to really be invested in doing it. I can't just say that, okay, I made the decision that I'm going to do it and then go through college and just kind of like work, like, like mediocre through, like you don't want to do that because then it's only, you're really setting yourself up for failure and setting yourself up to not have a positive experience. So yeah, we definitely need to be able to have people voice, whether or not they want to do something a lot more, I think. Would you say, um, so whilst we're on that subject, would you say you've picked a class before because one of your friends was taking that class? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I um, think that's, that's the biggest problem of it. And I think, yeah. you know, that's why I took IT. And then when yeah. I kind of fell out with them friends, it just... I get that. Trust me. Um, I, I had to, uh, so a lot of my roommates at school, people, the kids that I live with, uh, they're business majors, mostly. Um, one of them's a mechanical engineering major, but other than that, uh, they're business majors and they have to take one art class, um, to graduate. And so they all wanted to take art history because that was like the only class that like, it's like pretty much like another subject, but it's just related to art history and they just got into the class. I remember there was just such a different expectation. Like it was like a two hour and 50 minute lecture in a lecture hall with like 150 kids. And they were just like, Oh my gosh, this is horrible. So yeah, I can definitely say that. I know that my friends and my roommates have done that. And I have as well when it comes to taking like a, an elective course, like elective course to fill like requirements. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you have any questions, feel free to leave a comment or reach out to us on our social media accounts. I'll catch you next time.